with the really big things of life, you know, the kind of things that distract you while you're at church, you know, the important things. Is it always best to trust God? Or sometimes is it you know, better or maybe even necessary to take matters into your own hand? I think about David, for example. We've been looking at David over the last few weeks. And David, of course, has been anointed as the rightful king of Israel. But that's not happening, is it? Um, it's taking a long time, years by now. And all, in the meantime, uh, King Saul you know, grows ever more impatient in his attempts to murder David. But you know, what, what is God doing? When, when is he going to act? When is he going to come through for David? Maybe it would be better if David took things into his own hand and just killed Saul. And indeed, David got two, not one, but two opportunities to do exactly that in his wilderness years. And so when he's faced with the opportunity to take out and uh, take into his own hands what he, what he longs for, what will he do? Will he reach out and seize the kingdom? Or will David trust God and receive the kingdom? The first opportunity that David had uh, to take matters into his own hand uh, occurred at En Gedi, where David and his men were, were hiding out. And En Gedi is uh, it's very rugged, and very lonely and remote part of the Judean wilderness. Uh, but it's also incredibly beautiful. It's, it's actually an oasis. Uh, it's fed by springs of fresh water, and um, there's, you know, there's a lot of trees and, and date palms and green, and uh, there's waterfalls. And uh, to this day, it's a, it's a sanctuary for wildlife. And in ancient times, it was probably uh, a, a wine-producing region, so, so vineyards. And uh, it, it's bordered by an incredible contrast. On, on one side, to the east, there's the deep blue of the Dead Sea. And then on the other side, to the west, uh, there's this you know, rich, rugged redness of the, the hills and the cliffs of the Judean wilderness. So all in all, it's not, it's not too bad a place to hide out in a, in a secret stronghold. But, uh, as has happened a few times now, King Saul got word that that's where David was. And so once again, he assembled his armies and he marched south to En Gedi to hunt for David, his rival. And it just so happened that one day, uh, David was out with a small team of men. And uh, looking into the distance, down the road, they saw marching towards them the armies of Israel. Now, in Gedi, uh, one of the things it's famous for is these vast network of caves that, that are in the hills around the place. And it just so happened that where David and his men were on the road, there, there was a, a cave just up in a hill above the road. And so David said, quick, scramble up the hill. We'll hide in there until the army marches past and then we'll escape. And so David and his men went up the hill and they, they went into the cave and they hid. And they could hear... Saul and his troops marching down the road, thousands of men in lockstep, getting nearer and nearer. And then just as they were right down below on the road in front of them, 
they heard the order given to halt. Oh no. Had they been seen scrambling up into the cave? And so David uh, crept forward and to the mouth of the cave and looked down the hill. And he saw a single man walking up towards the cave. And so he turned to his men and he said, quick, quick, get, get to the back of the cave, someone's coming. And they, they hid uh, at the rear of the cave in the shadows. And so the man walked into the cave. Uh, it was a bright day outside in the noon desert sun and he'd, he'd walked into the dark cave and he, so his eyes were adjusting and as he looked around the room he, he didn't see David and his soldiers lurking uh, in the back. But then one of David's men nudged him and said, David, isn't that... It is. It's, it's Saul. It's Saul. And so the king of Israel was in the cave with David and his men, alone, unguarded, and amazed. They looked on. And what happened next amazed them even more. Uh, Saul took off his sword belt and laid his sword gently against the cave wall. And then he unfastened his cloak and took off his armor and put them carefully on the ground. And then he walked over to the mouth of the cave and found a nice spot where he could uh, look out and see the vast Dead Sea in the distance. On that particular day, it was a sunny day and it was probably looking misty. And then Saul ungirded his loins, uh, pulled up his tunic, squatted, and relieved himself. The men couldn't believe it. Here was the king of Israel sitting on his throne, so to speak. Some of the younger men had to suppress their snorts of laughter. But the older ones said to David, My Lord, God has finally given him into your hands. Now's your chance. Reach out and seize him. And David arose and crept towards the turned back of his enemy. And he unsheathed his dagger and drew closer. He looked at the king. It would be so easy just to reach out and put his hand over Saul's mouth and slit his throat. And he'd be finally done of him. And he'd be able to seize what, after all, what was rightfully his, the kingdom. He was the anointed king. And so he lifted his dagger. And just as he was about to strike, he stepped back. His heart was stricken. He couldn't do it. After all, even though he was his enemy, Saul was still God's anointed king. And as it says in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt do no murder. But then David had another idea. He crept over to where Saul's cloak laid, and taking his dagger, which is still in his hand, he cut off the corner of the coat. And then he went back to his men. And they looked at him puzzled and said, David, what are you doing? It's now or never. Seize him. This is our chance. David said to them, No, I will not raise a hand against the Lord's anointed. In God's kingdom, we do not reach out to seize, but we trust God to receive. Do not harm him. And so the men huddled in the silence, 
for what I imagine were quite a few awkward moments, and uh, eventually Saul finished his business, cleaned himself up, uh, regirded his loins, pushed down his tunic, uh, picked up his armour and put it on, refastened his cloak, picked up his sword, put it on his belt, and calmly walked out the cave, oblivious to what had just happened. But as Saul walked down the hill, before he'd made it all the way down to back towards his men, all of a sudden David burst out of the mouth of the cave and boomed in a commanding voice down the hill. He said, My lord, the king! Saul was shocked. He turned around. And gleaming in the sun, saw David standing bravely on the top of the hill. And not knowing what else to do, he bowed. And he said, slowly realizing what had happened, he said, David, is that you? David answered, yes, it is, my lord, the king. It is I, your servant, David. But look at your coat. Look at your cloak, my lord. Look at its corner. Where is it? Here it is in my hand. In the cave, I could have killed you, but I didn't. I have not sinned against you, my lord. I have never sinned against you, but yet you hunt me relentlessly. Shocked, maybe a little embarrassed, ashamed, before all the troops of Israel looking on in amazement, Saul started to weep. And when he got control of himself, he called back, David, you are more righteous than I. I see now that what Samuel said is true. You will one day be king. With his shoulders slumped, he turned around and walked back to his men. And with some amazement to them, he ordered them to pick up their gear, turn around and march home. And because David in that moment, trusted God and didn't take matters into his own hand. A day that started with intentions to murder on both sides ended in peace and righteousness. So that was the first opportunity that Saul, or rather that David had, to take matters into his own hand. But the second opportunity came along just a little bit later, maybe a year or so later. And uh, at this point in the story, David and his men had moved back to the Judean hill country, uh, the desert hills in the wilderness of Ziph, which you might remember a few chapters earlier was where the locals, the, the Ziphites, ratted David out to Saul and said, Saul's hiding amongst us, come down and kill him. And as things often do in these stories, uh, once again they repeated themselves and while Uh, David and his men were hiding out in the wilderness of Ziph. The Ziphites again sent word to King Saul and said, David is hiding out amongst us. We don't want to harbor this traitor. Come down and seize him, O king. We'll give him into your hand. And despite the tears and the pious words a year earlier in En Gedi, there hadn't really been any change in Saul's heart. There, There hadn't been any true repentance And it was just too tempting, an opportunity to pass up, another opportunity to assemble the army and go and hunt and seize his rival 
in the wilderness. And so that's what Saul did. But over the years, David's military powerless kept increasing. Uh, He wasn't the scared boy that he once was, running away as a lone outlaw outlaw from the king of the land. Uh, He was a general uh, in charge of his own small but elite unit of fighting men. And David had his own networks of spies now, and he knew exactly what Saul was up to, and he knew when Saul arrived in Ziph, and he knew exactly every move he made, and he knew exactly where Saul had encamped. He wasn't the least bit worried that the king would catch him. I mean, after all, he's been through this a few times now. And, however, he was tired. Saul coming to Ziph probably meant that they would have to relocate again. Uh, David, uh, his 600 fighting men, their wives, their families. And he was sick of being on the run. He was sick of being an outlaw. He was the anointed king. And, you know, you can imagine David's prayers in this period. He'd have been praying something like, you know, God, how much longer? You know, how much longer do I have to wait against these evil tyrants? When are you going to act? Where are you? You know, are you ever going to make good on, on basic righteousness? Are you ever going to make good on the promises for me to be king? Nevertheless, uh, that night... David went to scout out his enemy's camp. And he took with him uh, one of his best and bravest young warriors, a man named Abishai. And Abishai was actually his nephew. And so uh, under under the moonlight and the desert stars, David and Abishai uh, travelled through the country and came to where Saul had encamped. Uh, He'd encamped on a hill. And uh, David and Abishai had a look around from a safe distance. It was about 3,000 men, you know, so that would give Saul roughly a five-to-one advantage, which is pretty typical. And David said to his nephew, look how poorly their camp is laid out. They haven't even put any sentries out. Do you want to sneak up a bit closer and uh, see what we can see? And uh, Abishai said, well, yes, I do, David. Let's go. And so they did. After all, if they were caught, they could just run off into the night. No one would catch them. And so they snuck up closer. Still no sentries. And the only sound that the two of them could hear was the sound of snoring. Every single man in the camp was fast asleep. Uh, They didn't realize it then, but but they worked it out later. What had happened is that God had sent a deep sleep onto the camp in order to bless David. And so they, they got to the edge, and were fast asleep. They said, well, let's go in a bit further. And so they, they, they crept up the hill, sort of stepping over sleeping men and weaving their way through, through tents. And then they eventually got to the top of the hill in the center of the encampment. And lo and behold, there he was, sleeping on the ground. Saul. And sleeping next to him was Abner. Abner, son of Ner. Saul's new general. Uh, David and Abner never really got along well, and uh, Saul wasn't that happy, or rather, David wasn't that happy to see him now. But then, as he was looking down at the men sleeping, in the ground, stabbed in the ground, next 
to Saul's head, David saw his spear. It was a very distinctive spear. Saul always took it out with him when he went campaigning. And indeed, David knew this spear very well. You might remember that not once, but twice, when David was a young man serving in the king's palace, Saul had tried to kill him with this very spear. And now here he was, asleep, with a weapon right next to him. Another opportunity to take matters into his own hand and to seize the kingdom, which is rightfully his, for himself, and to be free of Saul and to rid Saul from you know, his tyrannous plague on Israel and you know, to go home safely and sleep in a bed and you know, begin to reign and rule and put the kingdom to rights. Abishai whispered to his uncle, he said, David, God has given him into your hand. Look, there's his spear. Let me take it and run him through. I will not need to strike twice. As Abishai bent over to pick up the spear, David's heart was stricken. He said, no, don't do it. In God's kingdom, we do not reach out to seize, but we trust God to receive. I will not lay a hand against the Lord's anointed. But come, nephew, I have an idea. Take this spear with you, and I'll take this water jug, the king's water jug, that is lying next to his head. And quick, let's get out of the camp before somebody wakes up. And so the two men went back down the hill and got out of the camp. And then they walked a short distance across a valley and climbed up another hill that was adjacent to the hill that Saul's camp was on. And David looked at his nephew and smiled and said, What's this, nephew? And then using the valley between the two hills to amplify his voice, uh, he called out loud enough to raise the entire camp. And he said, Abner, Abner, son of Ner, Abner, wake up. And men woke up, and there were shouts in the camp, and they, they lit torches, and there's a bit of chaos over on the other side of the hill. And then eventually Abner came to the side of the hill, and using the valley also to project his voice, he answered David, and he said, Who goes there? Who is it that calls to the king of Israel? David, probably winking at his nephew. Remember, he didn't like Abner much. He said, Abner, 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 are you the best they could replace me with to lead the armies of Israel? Abner, somebody snuck into your camp, your undefended camp, and tried to kill the king. And where were you, Abner? Were you sleeping? Were you sleeping in the middle of the camp? Have a look where you were. Where is the king's spear? Where is the royal water jug? Some fine general you are, Abner, son of Ner. There was a long silence. And then eventually, David heard Saul's voice calling out to him from across the hill. David, my son, Is that you? It is, my lord the king. It is I, your servant, David. There's another long pause. And then in the middle of the night, Saul called out to David and said, 
David, I have sinned. I have been a fool. You are more righteous than I. You are kind and merciful for sparing me once again. May God bless you, my son David. You will do many things, and you will succeed in them. Then David and Abishai ran off into the night. And the next morning, to the amazement of his troops, Saul gave the order for them to uh, pack up camp, take their gear, turn around and march home the way that they came. And once again, because David, at the key moment, trusted God and didn't take matters into his own hands, a day which should have been marked by war and violence and death, is marked by blessing and righteousness. Sometimes it can be hard to trust God with the, with the really big things of life, especially when it requires waiting patiently when we're uncomfortable or we're suffering or anxious. It can be so tempting. Sometimes it can be very convenient to, to take matters into our own hands, to strike back, to fight fire with fire, to, to make little moral compromises that become bigger moral compromises, you know, to, to look to ourselves and our own interests rather than to others. But the more we do this, the more we take matters into our own hands, it's, that, that way is the way of living like God doesn't matter or, or God doesn't exist or that he, he's unable or not powerful or not close enough or he doesn't care enough to to actually govern the world that he creates or to to help his servants that bear his name. And that way of seizing, you know, it's not our way. It's not the way of God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, we don't reach out to seize. We trust God to receive. And this way of receiving, not seizing, it's a better way to live. It's the way of Jesus when he walked amongst us. You know, when Jesus said, uh, you know, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that, that's the way of receiving. That's, and that's the path to peace, you know, to, to let go of hurt, uh, to, you know, trust in God's justice, to in trust in God's timing, to tr- trust in God's protection, and to trust that, You know, God can actually make good of bad situations and that God can even reform those who who hurt us. And this way of receiving, it's it's the way to contentment. You know, when Jesus said, you know, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't store in barns. But yet, your Father in heaven feeds them. The birds they receive. Uh, this is the way of, of trusting in God's provision and you know, putting aside anxiety and worry, worry about finances, worry about the future, worry about health, and you know, trusting that God is actually in control and he can make good on his promise to give us everything we need, not everything we want, but everything we need to do his will and to glorify him. And imagine how much better it would be if, if you, me, Everyone lived like this all the time. It's a better way. And this way of receiving, not seizing, it's a more powerful way to live. 
I mean, look at Saul versus David. Uh, Saul is always trying to reach out and seize, whereas David is trusting God to receive. And which of the two men, you know, is in control? Which of the one has the, the power and the influence and the authority? Which, which of the two looks like the king? Uh, it's not Saul, is it? He's the guy that, despite having all the power, the wealth, the authority, uh, the armies of the state at his back, the more he tries to reach out and seize, the more God humbles him. Because it's not Saul's kingdom. It's not even David's kingdom. It's God's kingdom. God is sovereign. God rules. And David, even though he's just a young man with a ragtag bag of followers who, who's on the run as an outlaw, you know, not a penny to his name, you know, David, because he trusts God, the God who's actually in control, the more he trusts to receive, the more God exalts him. The more power, the more influence he has, the more he looks like the king that he's being trained by God to be. And, and this way of receiving, not seizing, that it is a better way to live and a more powerful way to live, we see that most clearly in Jesus, on, on his cross, do we not? I mean, Jesus was another king-to-be who was hunted by his enemies and attacked by his foes. And as he said in the Gospels, if he wanted to, he could have called down a legion of angels you know, to crush and conquer and destroy and seize what was rightfully his. Uh, but he didn't. He chose the better and more powerful way to trust God and receive. And of course, it looked pretty hopeless and pretty bad for him a lot of the time, and especially at the end, I mean... Death on a cross. There's not a lot of hope there. But how did it work out for Jesus, trusting in God to receive? Pretty well, I'd say. I mean, three days later, he's risen again to new life. And then he ascends to heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father, there to rule and reign over all things until God makes his enemies his footstool under his feet. I mean, how glorious. What a glorious result from trusting to receive. So my friends, the message from God's word to you this morning is be encouraged in how you live and the choices that you make because as God's people, you don't have to reach out to seize. You can just simply trust God to receive and he will come good for you. And, and this way, it's a better way it's a more powerful way. And the more you walk it, the more God will exalt you. And the more your life will give glory to our King, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.